We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. How are you using your 1440? By the way, what does 1440 signify? Anybody? Time. You have 1440 minutes allotted to your account every day. You can't save it. You can spend it, but you can't save it, nor can you share it. You might squander it, as oftentimes we find ourselves doing. Time is a very important commodity, isn't it? Matter of fact, I would say as I grow older in life, I become more keenly aware of time. When you're a teenager or in your early 20s or maybe even in your early 30s, time is not what I would say to be a relevant issue. At least it wasn't for me. But I can assure you time is very relevant now because I understand whether I like it or not, time is running out. And I don't say that pessimistically, but rather it's just a fact. The, the fact of the matter is, we're not meant to be here forever. And so what we want to do is make wise usage of the time that God blesses us with. Now, the psalmist, the passage read a moment ago, Moses, of course, the writer. And Moses talked about how we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age. And when I was a teenager, 20s, 30s, 80 years old, that seemed, I don't mean this, disparagingly, but seemed anxious. Matter of fact, I had an uncle when I was in high school. Died of cancer at 62, and I thought, you know what? He was, I always thought of him as just being old. But I've rethought that. Doesn't seem nearly as old as it did when I was a senior in high school. Now, David said many years ago, I was young, now I'm old. Well, the psalmist said we might live to be 70 or 80 years of age, but he said it's soon cut off, and what happens? We fly away. Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, you remember when he chronicled the aging process. One of the things that he said in that context was, there will come a time when the strong men bow down. In other words, when you're young, you're strong, powerful, you've got a lot of stamina. But as you grow older in life, you're not nearly as strong as you once were. You just don't have the stamina that you once did. Well, Solomon said that when death comes, the body returns to the dust from whence it was taken. The spirit, however, that is the inward man, returns to God who gave it. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 9 that God is the one that has placed within each of us an eternal spirit or soul. That soul or spirit will live forever. Now when we die, the physical body returns to dust, but that spirit is alive and well. Matter of fact, is conscious on the other side. Now that being said, and we 
again talk about the importance of time and how we're using the 1440 that's been allotted to us each and every day. I want to just maybe think about for a moment or two what Moses said in verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, help us to become wise stewards of the time that we have. So with that in mind, let me just share with you some things that I think will help us navigate our way through life and hopefully and prayerfully help us better spend the time that we have here on planet Earth because we only come around one time in this life. And I want to try to the best of my ability to maximize my time on planet Earth. Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I noticed that I left off right off the bat is that as we live here on planet Earth, we ought to live prayerfully. Prayer ought to be an important part of our daily life because as children of God, that's how we commune with God. Furthermore, prayer affords us the opportunity to express thanksgiving to Him who is the giver of all life, breath, and all things. You remember Paul said in Acts 17 that it's God that is the one that gives us life, breath, and all things. And he went on to say it's in Him that we live, move, and have our very being. So when it's all said and done, ultimately we owe everything to the gracious hand of Almighty God. James writes in James chapter 1, every good gift, every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights. And so we have lots to be thankful for. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul would say, in everything give thanks. And why is that? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus. So to express thanksgiving to God for all of our blessings, that is those material blessings, and then I think about those relationships that we forge here on planet earth to thank God for our friends family members our church family for all the many blessings that we enjoy each and every day so with that being said let me just suggest that we live prayerfully but then also purposefully sadly there are a lot of people in our world today that as they go through life there's really no aim or direction they lack a rudder in life, don't they? In other words, there's no design in how they operate, but rather they're just haphazardly going through life. They lack purpose and direction. Well, I think as God's people, we're to have purpose in our step, aren't we? Again, going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon underscores the purpose of life. And while there are many byproducts to life and the blessings of life, our purpose for existing here, according to Solomon, is to fear God and keep His commandments. In verse 13, he went on to say, For this is man's all. So, that's our purpose. We live to bring honor and glory to God, don't we? Matter of fact, Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that we are His workmanship. And the idea there is... We are God's masterpiece. And he said, we have been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So what he is saying is that as we live here on planet Earth, 
We live with a higher purpose. The purpose is not so much about us and about self, I guess, self-accomplishment and people patting us on the back and telling us what wonderful people we are, but rather it's about trying to live in such a way so that we bring honor and glory to God. So to live purposefully. But then secondly, there's the idea of living with priority. And this comes down to understanding what's really important in life. How many people do you think in the world today genuinely understand what's important? You know, sometimes we focus on a lot of things in life, somewhat like Martha. When Jesus chided her, he said, you're troubled and worried about many things. That's not to say that we don't have a life outside of the church and outside our service to God. But there are some priorities that are to take precedence in everything. Because as a Christian, it's not like putting on a suit of clothes or putting on a dress. But rather, Christianity is 24-7, isn't it? So Christianity is not a part of life, but rather Christianity is intended to permeate life. It's intended to be the summation, the whole of life, isn't it? Again, going back to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, when he said, Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. So what then is my priority? Well, Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 6, and in that context, He's talking about people that are worried and concerned about the daily necessities. But in light of that, he said, but you seek first the kingdom of God. So I want to make sure that when it comes to life, that God is first. That He gets the best of everything that I have to offer. Best in terms of my time, my talents, and my treasures. I want to do my best to focus my life on Him. As Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, we're to set our mind, set our affection on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. Very easy sometimes to get so caught up in life that we forget about what's really important. And so the spiritual side gets shoved to the side and we focus on the material. And so we want to have a balanced life, don't we? There's a third thing, that is to live each and every day productively. You know, every day we ought to be able to, well, I would say this, every night when we go to bed, we ought to be able to reflect back over the day and say, you know what, I did something today that made a difference. That in some way or another, today was productive. I remember years ago, I had a professor in college, and before he became a college professor, when he was a younger man, he spent many years in the mission field in Japan. He said, when he spent time, matter of fact, he said, when they lived in Japan, he said, every night when we went to bed, he said, I had the feeling that I had done as much as I possibly could for the kingdom that day. Now, I can't say that. That every night when my day comes to a close, that I have been that productive. 
There have been things that I've accomplished. There are things that, no doubt, as I reflect back over the day, I'm grateful for, and I think, you know what, hopefully that's going to help. But to spend my life trying to be productive for the kingdom of God. Again, going back to what Paul said, we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There are a lot of different works in the church. So what we have to do is to decide, okay, how am I going to use whatever talent or ability God has blessed me with to help other people or to encourage other people or to make a difference in this life? Don't you want to, don't you want to believe that when you come to the end of life and you look back over the years that you've spent here on planet Earth, that in some small way you have left a footprint behind. That people can look back and say, you know what? He made a difference or she made a difference in life, which really leads us to another thought. And that is to live with a sense of presence. We're not to live like we're a solitary figure on an island. But rather, I think the Lord wants us to be difference makers in the world. That's why in Matthew 5, he talked about how we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt makes a difference when you eat food, doesn't it? Enhances taste and other things. Gives flavor to food. Well, by the same token, as a Christian, we ought to create, well, we ought to create flavor for living when other people view our lives or view us as we live day to day. We ought to be able to create a thirst for Christianity, a hunger, if you please. So we're to live with a presence. And so Jesus said you're to be salt, and then you're to be light. Light makes a difference when a, when a, when a room is dark, doesn't it? And so Jesus said that we are, we are to be light in this world. Matter of fact, in Ephesians 5, He said you were once darkness, but now you're children of light, walk as children of light. Jesus said, you're the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I came across something this weekend that I've had for many, many years. When I saw this particular object, the first thing that I thought about was the person that gave it to me. This brother had been dead for a long time. But he left a huge footprint in my life. As a parent, no doubt, you're making a difference. You're living with a presence in the lives of your children or grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever. But to live so that we can make this world better, we can leave this world better, than when we got here. Can we say that? Can we say that we've made that kind of difference in this life? Let me share with you another thought. We talk about living with a presence in this life. What about living with passion? You know, the Bible tells us that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And one of the earmarks of Christianity is demonstrating genuine love for one another. I think about John chapter 13 when Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. 
How often do we express our love for one another? In the church? You ever tell somebody in the church how much you love and appreciate them? You know, it's good to just let people know that you've been a blessing in my life. And there have been a lot of people that have blessed my life immeasurably. A lot of times I'll tell people I love and appreciate you. I appreciate what you've done for me in this, in this life. But from an intimate standpoint, what about your family? Do you verbalize your love for your husband or your wife? Sometimes people say, well, he or she knows I love him or her. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know anybody that doesn't, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to hear another person say to them, I love you. You tell your mate that? You tell your parents that? You tell them how much you love them? How much you appreciate them? I, I brought a lot of heartache and grief to my folks at times. But I knew they loved me, and I loved them. And I want them to know it. They're not going to be around forever. And I want them to know how much I appreciate and love them. Because in many ways, they helped to shape my life. And so to express our love for family members, to let them know how much we love and appreciate them. There are a lot of people that have lost friends and family members that they were very close to. But sadly, they never expressed to that person or to those people how much they love them. That's a sad thing, isn't it? You know, to just be able to look somebody in the eyes and let them know, and I appreciate you. Life's short. There'll be a day when, I mentioned my parents a moment ago, there's coming a day in the near future when I won't be able to tell my mom how much I love her. Won't be able to say it to my dad. Now, I talk to my mama differently than I do my dad. It's a lot easier for me to tell my mom I love her than my dad. I still love him. But to just let people know, this is how I feel. I think it's important. You know, Jesus let people know He loved them, didn't He? And if we're to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, wouldn't it stand to reason that if He told people how much He loved them, that we ought to tell people how much we love them? There's another thought here. And that is to live patiently in life. Now let me tell you what, if you drive in Memphis or if you drive around somewhere around Goodman Road, or rather Goodman Road, patience is hard to come by. Just making my way over here this afternoon, I had two cars in both lanes and I couldn't get around either one of them. And if I had a tank, I'd have probably moved them off the side of the road. But that's not how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to be patient, aren't we? And so, you know, as you live in life and as you face the day-to-day -day experiences of life, sometimes things will literally try your soul. 
And when you have difficulties and trying experiences in life, what do you need? Patience. Perseverance. You remember Paul said that tribulation works patience or perseverance. He went on to say perseverance or patience leads to character. Character leads to hope. And James would say, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience or perseverance. In James 5 verse 11, James said, you've heard of the patience of Job. How do you think Job made it through all those difficulties in his life? He had to have a persevering spirit, didn't he? He had to man up every day. And so to live patiently. Another thought. As we talk about using our 1440. What about living peacefully in this life? Now there are some folks in this world, they like nothing better than a fight. If they're not in a fight, they're looking for a fight. And they're always snipping at somebody, chipping away at another person. There's really no sense of harmony in their life. Paul, in his writings, talks about those who are contentious. Just some people out there, they like to fight. And they like to stir the pot. But the Bible teaches the very opposite. Paul in Romans chapter 12 says that we are to live peaceably with all men. You know, one of the places that we ought to be able to find peace in life is in the home. But there are some homes that are war zones, aren't they? And you've got people living under the same roof, but they're not at peace with one another. But they're constantly battling and and they're constantly needling one another. I don't think that's the way the Lord wants us to live. And let me tell you this. When you think about your 1440 every day and living to be 70 or 80 years upon this earth, I'd much rather live in peace and harmony than discord and constant fighting and turmoil. You know, the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 14, that we are to follow after holiness and peace. And he said, without which no man shall see the Lord. If we want to see God one day and be with Him, we need to be peacemakers. Matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. Jesus was the Prince of Peace. And He wants us to live in peace to live peacefully with one another. Then let me just share with you one final thought. We ought to live positively. You like to be around negative people. You like to be around people that they constantly see the worst, no matter what the situation. We call them Debbie Downers. But they're always negative always pessimistic, never see the brighter side of life in anything, and yet, as a Christian, should we be positive in life? Now, that's not to say we're not to live realistically, to understand, you know, there are some things that are just what they are. But at the same time, to be positive in life. 
to have the can-do rather than the can't. I can't do this, can't do that. Go back and read Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel, when they were about to go into the promised land, or they were supposed to be going into the promised land. You remember they sent the spies out, surveyed the land, 10 came back. What'd they say? Can't do it. Not a chance. Giants in the land. You got Joshua and Caleb. What'd they say? Hey, we're well able. We can go in and take this land. Well, why? Because they had faith. Now, there are a lot of things going on in our nation, a lot of things going on in our world, and there are a lot of things that are going on I don't like. If I could change them, I would, but I can't. There are some things that I can do, so I want to do what I can do. Preach, teach, try to make the world a better place to live. But when it's all said and done, who's in control? Who's in control? You remember what the psalmist said? Psalm 99? The Lord reigns. God is on His throne, isn't He? Daniel said the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. John in the Revelation in chapter 1 said that Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. So let me tell you what, I don't care who thinks they're in charge on this earth. I know who's in charge. And that's the Lord. So no matter what happens, I can be confident and positive that God works all things according to the counsel of His own will. When God is in charge, what I need to do is let Him handle it. Does He know what He's doing? Can He handle the job? Yes. So listen to Paul. Paul's writing, and you think about the Roman Empire. You got some evil, ungodly Roman Caesars. And yet Paul, in writing to the church at Philippi, would say, I've learned in all things to be content. I've learned whatever station in this life, I can be content. But he said, I can do all things. Note that little word, C-A-N. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And here's the key. No matter what comes our way, we can make it. We can handle it. We can handle it because we've got somebody at our side. And who is that? It's the Lord. So whatever foe or adversity I face in this life, no matter how difficult the situation in life, I am armed with what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Brother George, probably his favorite verse in all the Bible. But it's true, isn't it? So rather than looking at the glass half empty, why not look at it half full and have the attitude, you know what, we can do that. I can do that. I can make it happen. God wants people that have the can-do attitude. If we're going to take the gospel to the world and change the world through the message of the cross, we got to do it with a positive attitude. Look, we can do it. God would never have said to do it if He didn't believe we could accomplish it. So, how are you using your 1440? Well, let me ask this question. 
How have you been using your 1440? How'd you use yesterday? That time's gone forever, isn't it? Gone. Forevermore. Right now, we've got what? About 10 hours left in this day. What are you going to do with it? At midnight tonight, that bank account is going to get another transaction. 1,440 minutes deposited to your account. What are you going to do with it? Here's the truth. Whatever we do with our time, it all falls back on us. I'm responsible, as you are. I know we got to sleep. I know we got to eat. I know we have to work. I know we have family time. We have a lot of things going on in life. But before you know it, it'd be over with. So use your time wisely. That's what Moses said. It's true today. Give us a heart of understanding so that we might apply wisdom to daily living. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love